0: Welcome to Little Gold Men, the award season podcast from Vanity Fair and Panoply. I'm Katie Rich, the deputy editor of vanityfair.com. And in studio, we have our digital director, Mike Hogan. Hey, guys. And in Oakland, we have our senior writer, Joanna Robinson. Hello, and we have lost Richard Lawson. He's now a mole person living in the New York City subways because uh, <laughs> you cannot take mass transit in New York City anymore. He's just walking
1: uh, somewhere between uh, Atlantic <laughs> and Pacific Avenues, I believe.
0: <laughs> we will we'll miss Richard dearly. Hopefully, he can uh, resurface by next week. Um, but we will have uh, Richard's presence on this episode. We're going to be sharing the interview he did with Stephen Yun. Am I p- pronouncing his name right, Joanna? I take you as the I expert. I believe so. Stephen Yun is the star of The Walking Dead as well as the new film Okja which is premiering on Netflix which is very exciting for those of us who uh, don't get to screenings as often as we like uh, so we'll talk a little bit about, about that movie later on uh, but I wanted to start off by talking about something that Richard and Joanna worked on together uh, it's the halfway point of the year so it's kind of a nice time to look back on the culture we've experienced so far and uh, Joanna you guys have published a list of the best TV and movies of the year so far uh, there's you know there's a lot of things on there that we've talked a lot about here that you might expect we got big little lies and feud and for movies there's like get out and and Richard talked a lot about Personal Shopper. Um, I mean, so, Joanna, how hard was it you for you when you put together the TV side of things uh, to really narrow down on what you liked? Or was it kind of obvious that there's been five good things?
2: No, it was ridiculous because, I, you know, 10 seems like a very reasonable number. We're only halfway through the year, but I had the hardest time getting it down to just 10. And... That's just because you know Richard suggested maybe you should just do just new shows that have premiered because there's just so much that has happened since January on television this year, but yeah we, we we knocked it down to a to a reasonable chunk and yeah some of your usual suspects are on there but I also tried to put on some uh, expansive <laughs> choices as well. Can we just so. read?
1: Can you just read us the list so for the listeners? And yeah. Home, I mean.
2: So we have, as Katie mentioned, some things you would expect, expect, like Master of None, Big Little Lies, Handmaid's Tale, The Magicians. Um, no, The Magicians you would not I was expect. about to say, probably. Magicians I did not see coming. <laughs> uh, Leftovers, uh, Legion, Feud, One Day at a Time, and the Twin Peaks Revival. Granted, we're only halfway through that. That could go off the rails, but I'm enjoying the craziness of the Twin Peaks revival so much. So, that is my list. Magicians had its. It is, it, this is a sci-fi show, and
0: I sci-fi is it on the Sci-Fi Network.
2: On the on the S-Y-F-Y network. And, you know, I, I don't want to knock any particular network, but I did not expect to have a sci-fi network show on this list. But um, The Magicians, which is based on a series of popular books by Lev Grossman, uh, had an okay first season, and I think a tremendous second season um, with like a musical episode and just the comedy beats heading on every, every level. And their CGI and their budget and their creation of their fantasy world is incredible. So I actually just adored the magician season 2. And we you know, I wanted to make sure that there were a couple comedies on here and not just Master of None, which is probably a comedy in name only, really. And so I picked one day at a time, which is this great, you know, Netflix. I think we did talk about this on the show, but this Netflix reboot of a classic Norman Lear sitcom and and it's sort of given a a different spin. We're we're with a, you know, a Family that is second generation Im- immigrant, and I, I, it was just an incredible. I I am as tired as anyone else of reboot culture, despite the fact that I also have Twin Peaks on here. But one day at a time was just a really lovely throwback that didn't feel stale somehow felt really fresh so you know those are those are some of my thoughts yeah Richard wrote um,
0: Richard wrote about The Ranch uh, last week which is not on your best TV of the year list it Um, is not (laughs) but uh, Richard has this affection it's a uh, you know it's a multi-camera Netflix sitcom so it's kind of like old-fashioned to compare to what we think of on Netflix and One Day at a Time is the same thing and he mentioned this in the piece that they kind of are these throwbacks uh, that he finds very appealing and it's kind of neat that Netflix is kind of known for breaking ground with things like master of none but is also kind of refining the very classic sitcom format well
1: did you guys are you guys too young to have spent like four billion hours of your life watching the original one day at a time because you're bored and the tv was babysitting you because that (laughs) theme song has burned so deep into my brain that i'm now actually in pain right now since you brought it up
2: (laughs) i am just too young like i definitely spent four billion hours watching other sitcoms because the tv was babysitting me but not one day at a time have you heard the updated theme song that gloria stefan did for the new show i actually
1: have not is it uh is it the same general tune
2: it's it's the same tune. Yeah. It's just got like a, a nice a more like kick? Cuban beat to yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. Well, okay,
1: I'd like to hear it. I guess I think. Um,
2: um, and I think you I I think you would enjoy the show too. I mean, it, it is a hard throwback, but there's something about it, you know. And um, Rita Moreno plays the grandmother of of the family which is not a character that was in the original I think and um she's just she's fabulous everything she does is just fabulous so it's a, it's a fantastic surprisingly amazing fantastic Any
1: Mackenzie Phillips or Valerie Bertinelli um uh, cameos we should know about Valerie Bertinelli by the way early early crush I learned a lot mm. just you know, super being babysitted by that TV. <laughs> <laughs> super cute.
2: Uh, Mackenzie Phillips did do uh, at least a one season cameo, a one episode cameo.
0: I think they're holding back the Valerie Bertinelli
2: for season there you go. two. That's so, good.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah. And there's some kind of genuine uh, Emmy hopes for Rita Moreno. I think like she, you know, she's obviously a legend. So it, it seems like she could very well get in there.
2: Yeah, I think the comedy field is a little bit more open and so um yeah and, and the she's an Oscar winner, so you know. She why not? she's
0: an egot winner, isn't she?
3: Is she? Wow, go oh, read it. Yeah. This year I'm going to eat better and spend less time and money at the grocery store thanks to ButcherBox. ButcherBox is the meat delivery subscription that gives me more time for what matters most. Each month, they send a box of the highest quality meats for a better price in the grocery store, which gives me more time to spend cooking and sharing delicious meals with friends and family. two pounds of ground beef, and three pounds of bone-in chicken thighs for free in the first box by going to butcherbox.com slash cadence. That's butcherbox.com slash cadence.
0: So now we can talk about the film half of this list because Richard, you have emerged from the subways to join us. Uh, I'm so glad that you survived your commute.
4: I very smugly had been, you know, reading all this stuff about the subways breaking down lately and been like, well, it hasn't affected me. And today... It absolutely You're did. You're
0: like those so. uh, Republicans who like weren't affected by health care and then suddenly they were and they're like, oh, people need health care. <laughs>
4: that's, ex- that's exactly right, yeah. <laughs> uh,
0: so Richard, uh, go ahead and just read us your list of the best films of the year so far. We've talked about Joanna's TV half of it.
4: So these are in no order except I guess re- in release dates, so earliest to latest. I have a Get Out on the list, which we've talked about on this podcast, a wonderful social horror movie um, that I think, uh, you know, has also been a big box office hit, which is exciting. Logan, the... I guess finale of the Wolverine franchise but you know you never know with with uh, these kind of movies. But that, you know, that kind of surprised me because I'm not really a big superhero movie guy, but that one is a very different kind of superhero movie. So, I think that's really interesting and you know, and Joanna, you were a fan of that too, right?
2: Oh, I loved Logan.
4: Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. That, you know, uh, I probably won't end up on my top 10 of the year list, but for now it's it's pretty good. Personal Shopper, which I've been raving about since 20 20- Sixteen, I think, when I first saw the movie at Cannes. So uh, that's the Kristen Stewart starring Olivia Isayus movie about ghosts and all kinds of strange <laughs> things that will definitely be on my top ten of the year list. I would be shocked if it wasn't there. But you know, it actually I think it did a, did kind of well in the art house this spring. So that's that's good for that movie. And then probably my most surprising or the one that surprised me the most and probably wouldn't have gone, gotten in there be- if um, we'd if I'd wanted to include movies that are coming out like in the middle of July, like War for the Planet of the Apes, which is great, is Life, the alien horror movie with Jake Gyllenhaal and Rebecca Ferguson and a couple other, uh, Ryan Reynolds. Yeah, that um, one
0: definitely surprised me.
4: Yeah. You know, well, I was looking back at movies that had come out and I was like just looking for a number 10 and I was like, ah, I think that's kind of it because <laughs> it's good. It's a it's an effective, well-made little kind of B-horror movie. And compared to the much higher profile alien body horror movie uh, that came out a little later, Alien Covenant, <laughs> um, it's much better. So, yeah, yeah. you know, there's, there's room for some sort of, you know, B-sci-fi on a... On a best so far of the year list, I think. Yeah.
1: In June, for sure. Yeah.
4: Yeah. Um, and also, sci fi was colossal the Anne Hathaway, you know, mm-hmm. mind meld with a monster movie that also is about Gamergate and toxic masculinity and all that stuff, which was a nice surprise when I saw it in Toronto last year. It came out in April of this year. I don't think it did very well, which was kind of a disappointment for, you know, fans of the movie, but also for Neon, which is this new distrib- distributor um, that's kind of, I think, trying to be some sort of A24 esque. Um, i think i think this was their first release it's
0: made about three million dollars which uh i don't, yeah, I don't which know is what not... their hopes for were but it's pretty low e-
4: even for the art house that's with mm-hmm. a big you know oscar-winning star that it, it, it could have done and, and jason tudeikis and then um okay oh, so we're talking about monsters destroying seoul south korea just nearby your name and J- was set in japan a, a wonderful uh animated film that came out last year in japan and the rest of the world and finally made it to the u.s this year and was a huge hit overseas like i think one of the highest grossing movies uh, in japan japanese history is kind of teen body swap sci-fi dramedy thing that um have any of you guys seen your name yes yeah and it i mean did it make you cry as much as it made me cry joanna
2: it made me cry for sure
4: yeah i mean it's it's and i can't exactly explain why because it's, not, I mean, it's, I don't know. Uh, everyone should see it if they can.
2: I think once you get past the format of anime, which I have very little experience with. And so the fact that it sort of starts with this recap and there's a lot of like, you know, twi- tricks of the trade, like parts of this genre that I am not accustomed to. But at its core is, yeah, this like strangely very profound story of... Body swapped teens falling in love with each other. So who knew? You know,
4: yeah. With a nice pop tune that keeps kind of yep. re- recurring in yep. in, in, the, in the movie, it's it's effective. I mean, it it it. Uh, if you have a, a sort of you know dreamy teen at home, you should show it show it to them. They'll they'll, <laughs> they'll, they'll, they'll be. Re- I, I mean, I like to. I kind of am a perpetual dreamy teen, so uh, it it really works uh, well. I have box,
0: mo- box office mojo open. This movie has made three hundred and fifty million dollars worldwide. Uh, yeah, it's, oh it's a wild. God hit
4: for an animated movie i mean you know like you know the big pixar stuff that'll do well but like that's a that's a big chunk of change yeah you know and 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 i think it had you know it had its fans here i think that it it didn't get much of a a fanfare release here which is kind of telling you know considering how big it was elsewhere but anyway worth seeing you can find it online next up is lost city of z which we talked to james gray Mm -hmm. we had a great chat with him about his that movie back in april just a perfectly done epic about exploration and obsession and, and a great performance from charlie hoonham who you know had all this goodwill behind him and then king arthur came Ooh. out and i feel like just kind of he's had a he, you know god giveth and he taketh away yeah, so richard uh, <laughs> since we had that conversation with
0: james Gray, i can't remember if i said on the show i saw lusty and just adored it so um i'm really really glad we got to it was a weird way to like have a conversation with the director and then see the movie but uh i'm really glad that i did
4: yeah yeah and and a kind of quieter amazon release i'm i'm still a little bit baffled about, about why it came out in april and they why they didn't hold it till fall or at some other point where it maybe would get a little more notice and and also be closer to when awards you know are being decided or voted on because i think it it could go toe to toe i mean i think it's definitely one of my absolutely. it's going to be one of my favorite movies of the year so i i think i wish that it had gotten a bit more of a a, a, a platform i guess Another movie that just came out kind of, you know, I think it did well in, in you know, um, what do they call it? What's the term? Boutique box office or whatever <laughs> um, specialty uh, is Beatrice at Dinner, the Salma Hayek starring uh, movie that, that, that premiered at Sundance right in the midst of the inauguration. And it's a movie that's about this amoral billionaire going toe to toe with this sort of lefty, new agey masseuse who played by Salma Hayek. Um, and uh, so it, it feels very of the moment. It's about like, can the side of good and compassion win in a compassionless world uh, or against compassionless people, uh, a fight that we're seeing play out in terms of healthcare right now Mm -hmm. and foreign policy and various other things. So just a caveat to the listeners who haven't seen this yet. It's, not hopeful it feels like it might be and then it kind of ends and you're like oh shit
1: sama knows too many billionaires to end that movie with a happy ending she's like no no no
4: this will end horribly right. trust yeah. me i'm married to one who i love but yeah but, uh, but we crush nice. everyone in our path okay <laughs> yeah you know so it's uh but this despite the it's it's kind of ultimate tones of despair it's it's a really beautifully made movie and um and another an, an example of um what mike white as a writer can do you know he created enlightened which is one of the best shows mike ever. white
1: is so So good, and go all the way back to Chuck and Buck.
4: Chuck and Buck, and not only is he this brilliant writer, he's also an amazing race contestant. So he was on the stand. That's
0: right. Yeah, With his dad yeah, who, like came yeah. out late in life, like uh, yeah. So like they're both style. not
4: straight, and exactly, exactly. And they did the amazing race together, which is like so bizarre. Uh, he's but, also um, a credited anyways, writer on White. the Emoji
0: movie, so congratulations, Mike White.
4: Yeah, I just heard that. That's uh, well, the the movie that's going to make T.J. Miller America's Jester or whatever. Well, he's going to make money uh,
1: globally. Oh, that's right. <laughs> he's going <laughs> to <Yeah>. be <laughs> yeah. He can insult the movie because uh, he's going to be yeah. making that money globally. Was it what yeah? Was it oh, anyway, that, that anyway, money. <laughs> I do want to. Um, I'd love to talk about that interview.
4: <laughs> <laughs> it's quite an interview. And then just really quickly, the last two are movies that are just coming out this month. Uh, one is The Beguiled, which the Sofia Coppola movie, which she won Best Director for It can, you know, with uh, Al Fanning and uh, Kirsten Dunst and Nicole Kidman and Colin Farrell. Uh, just a really tightly made, weird little kind of thriller. It's been you know debated some recently since it came out or right before it came out because if it's sort of racial politics and that there are none even though it's set during the civil war they just very quickly at the beginning of the movie say the slaves ran away there is a slave character in the original novel and in the 1971 Clint Eastwood movie and that was excised for this because Coppola said she didn't want to She didn't feel like she had, you know, um, the right to to tell that story, which has caused some debate. And I think that that's that's debate that's worthy. And maybe it was a cop out on her part. That said, as a piece of filmmaking, which is kind of what I argue in this in this this post is that it's just it's so well done that, you know, you can't deny it.
1: Yeah, I mean, at least she acknowledged this thing that everybody's trying to get everyone to acknowledge, which is that appropriation is problematic, too. So, you know, I mean, I feel like we're a long way to having wonderful solutions to these debates. So probably in the meantime, you just got to keep hashing it out
4: yeah i mean there have there has been stuff written about it um that's worth reading like that basically arguing like she's kind of damned if she does and damned if she doesn't you know
0: yeah i thought um like ira madison the third i think is at the daily beast now wrote a post so it's basically like do you really want sophia coppola making a movie about a slave's experience in the civil war i think she kind of rightly recognized she was not the right person to do that
1: well you know you know who did a good job but you have to have a lot of money to do this is i think ryan murphy with people versus oj brought in you know a number of black writers and it's just like first of all and and directors like first of all let's let's talk this all through and second of all like why don't you take the big you know johnny cochran episode uh, because Mm -hmm. i'm not gonna be able to like tell the story right so but i mean
4: when you're making a a tourist thing it's like
1: yeah unclear how you would negotiate that
4: yeah so you know and i think that uh it's it's a movie that like despite it it possibly being problematic or whatever, like it's definitely worth seeing, which is really why I put it on the list because it is, again, such a, but, a strong piece of filmmaking. And But stop stalling because where's Wonder Woman?
0: Ah, that was going to be my oh, next question. Yeah, but-
4: yeah. <laughs> uh, no, the, yeah my, the last movie on my list is and Okja. How are your mentions? How are your mentions?
0: <laughs> yeah, we'll, yeah, the last uh, movie on the list is Okja, which we'll discuss in a little bit since we're talking to uh, the star of the movie. But yeah, y- yeah Wonder yeah.
4: Woman. I did not put Wonder Woman on. Um I, I do have a superhero movie. I I mean I just you know, a woman superhero, I don't really buy it. No. Uh... No, it's just um, that movie. I like that movie. I, I think I more appreciate that that movie exists than I actually like it as a movie. There's going to be a vulture
1: think piece where they just clipped the thing of you saying right. a woman <laughs> superhero and us laughing.
4: Just looking forward to that. <laughs> be fun. Oh, the Internet. But, you know, I, I think it maybe it would have been 11 or 12 at this point in the year.
2: I think Logan Logan is handily the better Comic book film, you know, not that you can only pick one or have to pick one even, but you know, if we're ranking comic book films of the year so far, I think Logan for what it did in terms of departure of genre really earns its spot there. Wonder Woman, I think, as we discussed before, is on par with things we've seen before, like Captain America or the first Thor film. And uh, and that's fine. And that's great. And it's really great that we have that starring a woman, but that doesn't mean it elevates the film above, you know, just good, you know? Okay, and second question,
1: are there any Oscar winners in your list?
4: That is a good question. Um, I wish that more people had seen Lost at because I think that could have been up for a number of things. I mean, it might still be in the technical categories, you know, yeah. cinematography is beautiful. I think The Beguiled could, again, get some technical stuff. But beyond that, you know, I don't really think so. Uh, there has been a lot of speculation about whether Get Out could get a screenplay nomination. Yeah. and. Potentially, you know, Grand Budapest Hotel came out around the same time and got a Best Picture nomination with this new system where there's yeah. you know, ten. It could sneak in there. I mean, yeah. it, genre stuff like Mad Max is getting in. Get Out, which was a huge hit, it maybe even made more mo- more money than Mad Max domestically. Anyway, Did could really? could Holy I mean? Holy crap! I mean, I'm, I mean, it, it, maybe not more, but it was close to
1: Get Out. Feels like the sort of. You know, feel good taken in a certain way, <laughs> right. just as, yeah. in a macro way. Like, yeah. wow, what a wonderful thing that this small film um became such a huge
4: sensation and everybody yeah. loves
1: it so much. Like, I, I feel like that could have momentum all the way through.
4: Uh, I think you're right. It feels very much like a movie of the moment, you know, yeah. mm-hmm. and 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 it's, but it's not just that. It's also really well made. Mm-hmm. And so, it's recognizing mm-hmm. like
0: a, a filmmaker who's already kind of working on his next thing. We're like, kind of like excited to welcome them into the club. I think. It, I mean, the, so the Academy sure. is going to announce its new members, uh, the people who are being invited to be members today as we record this so it'll already be out tomorrow uh when this episode releases i wouldn't be surprised if like jordan peele was invited to join the academy after something like that you know he's a really exciting voice that you want to welcome yeah. with open arms and then keegan Absolutely. michael key
2: is kicking rocks somewhere oh he's um,
0: fine <laughs>
4: he's in hamlet with <laughs> yeah. oscar isaac i mean that's
2: you he, No, he's great um watch playing house on usa and um yeah, we don't often talk, I think, about uh, digital effects contenders, but I feel like Okja could get in for mm-hmm. the amazing digital effects in that film, right?
4: Yeah, and it's doing a different kind. It's not big battles. It's not spaceships. It's 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 a kind of there's one big special effect that's kind of integrated into the whole movie, which um, is I'm sure that the technicians in the Academy would appreciate. I, now also i would hope that salma hayek could we could do some sort of whisper campaign for her i think the movie's maybe a little too small maybe came out the wrong time of year but um she's you know i think i mentioned it when i talked about the movie out of sundance like she's due you know she got that nomination for frida almost 20 years ago um and she's been kind of on an upswing lately and i think i don't know if depending on how the rest of the actress race uh sorts out she she could we, we shouldn't count her out
0: well, should we uh, uh-huh. should we use this as an opportunity to talk about Oksha, which uh, is the subject of the interview you did with Steven Young, Richard?
4: Yeah, sure. Uh, ha- happy to talk so about So this Ocha. movie premiered
0: at Cannes uh, under some level of controversy because it's a Netflix film and the uh, the Cannes, uh, they allowed it to play in competition, but then the French cinema owners kind of went crazy and they decided not to let any uh, Netflix releases play uh, in competition at Cannes in the future. Uh, but it's interesting because that mm-hmm. happened and then now it kind of feels like a Tempest in a teapot because it's this uh, cool Bong Joon-ho movie that's opening on Netflix and I'm <laughs> excited about it and I, I don't know. Is it the kind of movie that I'm going to regret seeing only on Netflix as opposed to on a big screen? Uh, I
4: don't know. I mean I think it definitely would would do well on the big screen. And, and and well but if you do see it on the big screen, make sure that the framing of the projection is right because at the press screening <laughs> at Cannes, yeah. after everyone had booed the Netflix logo <laughs> and the movie started, the booing didn't stop. And I didn't know why for and I turned to a colleague next to me and I said, What's going on? Is this is Did they hate Netflix that much? And I didn't notice, but actually part of the uh, part of the projection was sort of uh, you know it was, it was basically that it wasn't sized the right way and so that's what they were booing and so then they stopped the whole thing people cheered technicians were coming out and resizing the screen uh, you know people were laughing it was a whole to do and it was exactly what Netflix didn't want to happen at this at their big can debut <laughs> it wasn't the premiere thankfully but it was the morning press greeting. anyway so that created a kind of extra air of controversy around the movie but you're right Katie then it's then it's played in its full in, in its entirety and people People loved it. and it was like, oh, what 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 a nice movie and we everyone kind of forgot about all the controversy.
2: I think the special effect of Okja, which is this sort of super um genetically modified pig, some pig, it, you probably will not be as blown away by it if you see it on the smaller screen. But if you see it on the big screen, this is I consider Jurassic Park to be the gold standard on this. and this is like probably. Probably better than Jurassic Park, but it's it's really incredible. A how much personality they infuse into this pig. And B, just some of the interactions between the young girl who plays the lead character and this CGI creature, because I know I know that there's like models involved and all sorts of things, but um there's a scene where she's sort of napping on the pig and the pig rolls around and she sort of rolls around to sort of rest from its back onto its belly. And the fact that this is all done on a thing that is not real is cr- – i my jaw was on the floor. I just thought it was an incredible – and I am really, really hard on CG animation. So, um yeah, I, I was really impressed by that. And that it is essential for you to be along for the ride of this crazy film and all the things, all the uh mood – bumpy up and down mood tone changes that happen, you really need to be invested in this young girl and her not pet pig. And you need to believe that that is a real thing that you're watching. And I I for one did. So there you go
4: yeah and you're right joanna i mean i kind of forgot about that exact scene but you're right it's very seamless and sort of intimate the way that they do the the graphics um you know and i would would, and i think that you know in, in a larger sense the movie um is is really hopeful it's about really dark things it's about you know animal you know eating animals being kind of a you know perverse thing to do and all this kind of stuff but um Uh, But it ends on this kind of note of like, well, you know, the fight is worth it. So maybe see Beatrice at dinner first and then see Ocha, (laughs) and have that be like, you you go from despair to like, well, okay, you know, hashtag resist, Mm -hmm. you know,
2: I have to say that, you know, if you're on the fence about being a vegetarian, this might be the movie that pushes you over the edge. And I was I walked out of it sort of wondering if it was intended to be a I mean, it's definitely intended to be a criticism of the sort of meat uh, generating industry, the meat industry. That's the word I want, but (laughs) I I don't, I don't know if it's like really trying to get us all to be vegetarians, but if it, if it was like, it's pretty effective and I, you know, marketing wise, I think it's being marketing as a bit more of like a rollicking um warm-hearted adventure than it actually winds up being but if you saw snow piercer uh, you might be bracing already for uh, horrors to come along with your you know sci-fi adventure so
4: yeah he doesn't pull any punches when you actually when you're, you're the movie brings you to con- actually confront like what these like slaughterhouses are like right yeah you know uh so I think it's more it's less specifically about vegetarianism and and it's more more broadly about like Compa- caring about things and being aware and and sort of yeah. fighting for what you believe in in a compassionate sort of humanist way, um, which like hey, that's a great message. On, on the one right hand, now.
2: yes, I completely agree with you, but on the other hand, it also it's not just like taking aim at like GMO food and stuff like that, but also the myth of like uh, if this food was raised organically on a farm, like it's it's fine, you know. Like it right. it seems to be sort of attacking the whole thing from two sides. You're right. Of course, it is about a broader concept. It's not specifically about this, but I don't know. I just I I well because
1: Tilda Swinton is this sort of greenwashing like organic right. She, she's, she's, she's sort she's of, putting like, The this face like, yeah. of uh the pl- the friendly face of like organized slaughter right exactly. Yeah. She's
4: putting yeah. this kind of like new sort of exciting shiny spin on it. But at all the while. just the
1: role a- Tilda Swinton plays in my
4: life generally. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. That's exactly right. Can we talk
2: briefly before, before we get into Steven Yun, who I loved in this movie and was so happy to see him smile, which I haven't seen him do ever on The Walking Dead. Um, (laughs) Can we talk briefly about what all the choices Jake Gyllenhaal is making in this film, Richard?
4: Oh, yeah. Um, I would say that that is probably the part of the movie that works the least for me, is Gyllenhaal. And I don't blame him exactly. I think that Bong Joon-ho, you know, he has a sort of he has a style of humor, let's say, that is a little that's antic and it's kind of up and it's and it can be big, and I think that because he's worked with Tilda Swinton before, you know, who she's probably the other biggest you know biggest name in the cast, uh, she kind of got it and and came came in at the right level. Uh, Gillian Hall just kind of overshoots, and it's a, it's a, but you know that said, I was talking to. Um, David Sims, a friend of the podcast, c- film critic for The Atlantic, who loved Jill in it. So mm-hmm. maybe it's it's a kind of mm-hmm. taste thing, but out of can, the word was like, great movie, Gyllenhaal, maybe not so much.
0: I feel like <laughs> this has happened for him a good bit lately. Like he kind of keeps going, uh, like taking really big swings that may or may not pay off. I specifically think of Prisoner is a movie a lot of people like more than I do. Um, but you know, I guess, well, I don't know. He doesn't, does he do it in life too, Richard?
4: No, he's pretty, he's pretty quiet in, in life. That that's a, that's a more, you know, downbeat performance. But, but you know, he's not, Bad. It's just a lot.
2: No, it's a lot. My the guy I saw Oak with in the theater when he walked out, he's like, "Did did Jake Gyllenhaal just sort of power through a mountain of blow before he did that movie? Like that's <laughs> that's sort of the level he's at." I'm not I'm not uh, maligning Jake Gyllenhaal. I think that's just pure acting creativity. But it's a lot. It's a lot of choices. I'm. He, has, I'm,
1: he has been going for that kind of hollow eyed manic thing.
2: Yeah. Yeah. A lot lately.
4: Yeah. it Works right. in
1: like Nightcrawler.
4: Mm-hmm. You know. So not, good it's, at yeah. Nightcrawler, but yeah. Um, I wonder if Maggie gave him notes afterward. That's,
0: that's <laughs> uh, so, Richard, let's hear your conversation with Steven Yeun. Uh, what did uh, you guys talk about?
4: Uh, we talked about Ocho. We talked about working with Bong Joon-ho. We talked about kind of the, you know, the sort of the the, the political messaging in the movie. Um, he's just, a, he came in, you know, we, we spoke in person. Uh, he was wearing this fabulous long blue coat. Uh, just a really nice, smart guy um, who, you know, had a lot to say about... You know, this is a movie that's, you know, set in South Korea. It's by a Korean director and he himself is a Korean American. So we had a lot to say about that, which I thought was, was interesting.
0: All right. Well, let's hear your conversation with Steven Yun.
4: So I'm here with Steven Yun. Thanks, Stephen, for being here. Thank you. Uh, now you're on this kind of crazy press tour for Okja, the Bong Joon-ho mm-hmm. film that will be on Netflix later this month. Mm-hmm. So I want to talk about a lot of things involving this movie. But first of all, uh, it was just a can. Had you been to Cannes before?
5: Um, I had not been to Cannes, uh, film festival. I had been to Cannes for something else just to go. Um, but yeah, this was my first time for there for the festival.
4: So how did that feel with this big movie premiering? I mean, what was your experience like?
5: It was awesome. You know, I think, um, it's interesting in a lot of ways. I think it was really cool to kind of like have that be my first toe dip into that world. I mean, I'm in a film with some Pretty amazing people, and I'm so lucky in that way. So yeah, they were great too. Like they just kind of like helped me through the situation. Yeah, uh, Ken is very, very decadent. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Is it's that the word? Over the top, yeah. <laughs>
4: yeah. And I, I one time, my first year there, I somehow scored a ticket to like the opening night and I didn't know that I was going to be doing this but I ended up on that red carpet oh, and cool. I sort of scuttered, you know, I, nobody wanted to take my photo <laughs> but like I just imagine like when you actors are on that huge carpet with all the photographers it must feel, I mean, was there a sense of accomplishment or was it mostly just like like nerves and kind of overwhelming? Or...
5: Um, It was, you know, I, I feel like um the one thing that like my parents have taught me somehow, maybe indirectly, is like try to act like you've been there before. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But secretly inside you're like, oh shit, this is crazy. Right. Um so yeah, it was kind of that. Like I was trying to not lose my cool, but also like really appreciate the moment. And I think that was really fascinating to see like I didn't know I've heard about that carpet, I Mm -hmm. guess. And, but I don't like actively think about that carpet, (laughs) but to go on there, you're like, Oh, I see. Like I see the inherent, like crazy prestige
4: in a way about this or the, or the spectacle that it is. And, um it was cool yeah. yeah it was really cool um and you and the oakja cast seemed to like really get along um you were at our party uh yes. kind of late into the night dancing tilda yeah. seemed to be leading that which was fun <laughs> to see great. um so yeah you seem like a really kind of bonded group of people um
5: yeah I, I you know i think um unfortunately i didn't get to work with tilda or jake that much right uh, actually i didn't get to work at jake at all i got to work with tilda for a couple scenes mm-hmm. and then um Mostly it was the ALF, uh, the, uh, Paul, Lily, Dan, uh, Devin. Yeah. And, uh, we bonded just because, you know, one, just all spectacular people, but also like, you know, we're kind of there in a foreign country doing it together, so... Uh, it only helped to kind of get closer and luckily we all just kind of hit it off. Yeah. And so, yeah, it was kind of an extension of that and I think it's also an extension of Director Bong and the people that he collects in that way to be a part of his film. He's, he he definitely brings together really great people and uh, Tilda is one of those people that you just meet and you're like, how do you not like yeah. Tilda? You know, yeah, she's, she's the best. She's one, one of a kind. Kinda. Yeah, she's
4: the best. Um, so you mentioned ALF, which is <clears throat> Animal Liberation Front, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, I, so Okja is ostensibly an animal rights movie mm-hmm. um you know about a young girl from korea i believe it is or is there or is it never, maybe it's never stated exactly yeah, she's it it was, okay mm-hmm. um who has this kind of genetically modified animal that she raises and then he's going to go to slaughter or she's mm-hmm. going to go to slaughter um, and you play one of these revolutionaries trying to free okja mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um so it has that political element to it in terms of the very specific issue but something i love about the movie is that i think it speaks more broadly to mm-hmm. The times we're, li- we're living in was the kind of political climate of the united states of the world something that was in your mind when you guys were shooting or no actually um
5: you know we were so far removed from that like in a literal country yeah. and also we were it was early june by that point mm-hmm. so like you know things were heating up for sure but um i don't even think we were at that stage of belief that what's has happened could have happened (laughs) right right um a more innocent time yeah a more naive time uh and you know it it was it you know the thing that about his film is that i think in the end you can't help but put a mirror up to it and also put the backdrop of the current times against it but what's really great about director bong is that i feel like He never paints a picture of what he intends or wants things to be, per se. Instead, he kind of just paints a picture of what is. And sometimes the colors he uses are a little bright uh, to kind of convey a message of, like, these things that I've pinged stand out here, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And in that way, the film, I don't think, had necessarily any real intent um, politically. You know, obviously it's coming from a single visionary mind that has his own ideas about how things are or what, but I think that's why he was so great about giving credence and time to every character in it in a way to say like, here's a complicated versions of what you would think are heroes. And here's a complicated version of what you would think are villains and here's the purity at the center of this, which is this little girl and her friendship with this animal. And I think that's where he started from, which was this bond between this girl and this animal. And then you can extrapolate so many other things on top of that. And um, one thing that like I really love about director Bong is that I don't know if you, you know, like a lot of Murakami's art. Sure. Yeah. I mean, Murakami's Murakami's the, the best but I had the pleasure of meeting him uh just last year and going to his uh uh his huge studio space and I talked to him briefly and kind of was just like watching him and then it was so weird because I was as I was watching him I was like oh my god you might be like director bong like you might be the same person Mm -hmm. um and obviously they're not the same person but I feel like what they're able to do is kind of like do this super flat thing that, you know, Murakami has mm-hmm. coined and which is like they do high-low, yeah, you know. Um, and I think that Okja is this great thing because it's high-low. It's It's this seeming adventure movie about a young girl and her pig. And then when you watch it, you walk out and you're like, that is not what I thought that was going to be. And it blew my mind in ways that I didn't think it was going to be. And it also like skirted expectations in other ways that might have made me feel uncomfortable or unsatisfied, but it made me think. And so that's the cool part about this movie is that like when you're in it, you just kind of trust yourself to the process of a genius and you just say like, cool, like tell me how to not ruin your painting you <laughs> right. know um, and yeah. I'm down for whatever.
4: Yeah I remember leaving uh, went to the press <laughs> screening at Cannes and walking kind of down the crosset afterward and being like that was fun and then thinking about it for like two more minutes and all of a sudden I was like teary and I was like moved by it in this way so yeah you're right he does kind of like it sneaks up on you some yeah. of this sort of unexpected emotional. Yeah. Now were you uh, a fan of his work before doing this you'd seen his stuff and yeah, yeah. so yeah. how did you get involved in Oak Show was it just a standard audition process or?
5: Um, I was so fortunate to have met director bong about two years prior to the movie um just on some off coffee chance that i had with him in korea mm-hmm. when i was visiting and um he was gracious enough to come meet <laughs> me not <Right. laughs> uh and he was really cool and um a year later he sent me an email out of the blue and he's like hey i have this role that i'm writing for you and i was like what like director bong is writing something with me in mind that blew my mind. Cause you know, to me like my favorite, all all of his films are wonderful. My favorite film of his is memories of murder. Mm -hmm. And that film is like, if you have any aspirations for wanting to be a director, you look at that film and you go like, that's a masterpiece from a singular vision. And um, in that way, like I kind of understood how he functions because, you know, he he's very detailed. And, you know, you go and first day of the film, he'll hand you a book that is frame by frame what the movie's going to look like. Storyboarded oh, wow. already. And it feels like limitations to the naked eye, but it's actually, like, wonderful. Because it's a, he's actually just giving you, like, really stark parameters right for you to kind of thrive in. And so, um, yeah, like... That's kind of how I was born. I think that's part of his process too, is he meets people and, um, he doesn't go like, who did the audition the best? He's kind of like by feel and he casts really well. He's like, I know
4: I can see you as this character. So I'm trusting you to play this character um, yeah, and, there's a kind of an organic quality to the cast that he assembles. It feels like everyone's just kind of placed just so and like they, mm-hmm. they belong there, you know, mm-hmm. so it's a nice. So so he tells you he's writing the script. Um, and then eventually you read it, obviously. What were your kind of first reactions? Was it a total surprise? I mean, because it's kind of a wild tale. Um, and you're you're playing this kind of radical, because yeah. like, you had envisioned what, what he might be writing for you and then surprised by what um, he actually did.
5: Yeah, you know, I actually had no idea what the film was going to be. Yeah. Um, and I had no idea what he was possibly thinking of me for. I mean, I would have played a tree and it. It's fine. <laughs> um, yeah. But you know, when I read it, I was like, this is crazy. Like, I was like, this is so crazy. And I think off the page, you can really overlook some things about it. Not to say that the script was underwhelming by any means. It was more just like you have to intrinsically trust that director bong has his reins on every aspect of the film down to the visual storytelling. And so if you add that layer of trust into it, you're like, Oh my God, like he's starting from this framework and then he's just going to embellish on top of that. And I cannot wait to see what the final product looks like. And, um, and that's precisely it too, is like a director bong film, at least in this instance, seems like it comes together at the end. Where, you know, as you're in the process, you can kind of like be like, oh, that's a cool shot, or like, oh, that's a cool beat, or that looks beautiful. But you don't really fully see it until he's like assembled all the pieces and like really like touched the little things and the minutiae that he really likes to adjust. So, um, yeah. When did you first see it? Was it before Can or was it? I actually saw it um, in a private screening okay. prior. Uh, where the CG hadn't been finished. Oh, interesting. And it was such a different experience, such a different experience. And then when we got the final look into it, we're like, Oh my God, like that's not
4: even close to what I thought. It was going to be when I saw the first version, right? Yeah. Sure, because yeah, I mean, there's yeah, um, a lot of those kind of extra elements. I'm sure yeah. huge. Yeah. So now you told me before we started recording that um, you're doing press here in New York, and then you're going to go to South Korea. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have any expectations? I mean, he, you know, he's that's his home, that's Bong's home country, and like, yeah. do you have any expectations for how the film is going to be received there? Do you think it's going to be like a big phenomenon kind of thing? Or how?
5: yeah, you know, I don't know. I mean, um. I hope so. Yeah. I mean, director Bong is obviously director Bong and yeah. he's that here and he's that in spades over there. And so I think people know what to hope hope for. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they know what to expect, but they know what to hope for. And um, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, like this is a true global movie. Yeah. And I don't know many filmmakers that could have accomplished this in the same way. Um, could, could, ha- could foreign directors accomplish American films? Sure, we've seen that a bunch of times and they're wonderful. But there is something to be said about him bridging literally two different cultures into one film uh, with a singular vision. And I think that's very, very, very difficult. Um, because a lot of things get lost in translation, mm-hmm. and um, and in that way, it was very fascinating to be at my vantage point because, you know, being Korean and being American, um, and then having to play a Korean American mm-hmm. that literally sits in the middle of that movie between the two cultures, it was very kind of like a interesting experiment and a almost a near cathartic experience for me of just like, yeah, like. To be a immigrant kid, going back to where he was originally from, but not where he necessarily identifies with, is like a weird pocket to, to live in. It's almost like you're on your own island because, the home country that you were born of, they don't understand you, and you don't understand them, and the home and the c- home country that you actually call home, doesn't think you're part of that country. Right. And so, um, yeah, it was like. That experience was nuts. And yeah. it was, and, and in that way, I really, truly have no idea what Korea is going to be like.
4: Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, talking about how it, it does blend these two cultures together. There's a lot of talk right mm-hmm. now about how um, a big studio movies are, you know, sort of a Transformers movie will sort of add a Chinese actor yeah. into the because, you know, the market's huge in China mm-hmm. and it feels it hasn't yet gotten to a point where mm-hmm. it feels organic and mm-hmm. like it's it's not just sort of like added in cynically mm-hmm. but this movie okja really does feel that that lovely blend that yeah. that that it's like the movie couldn't be the movie without that blend you know yeah. so it feels essential to it rather than incidental and and tacked on
5: well i think that's due to you know dr bong's uh and and duho our wonderful producer on it like their insistence on casting a Korean American person because that's primarily the perspective that this character K is. Could they have gotten a Korean native that could speak English and tried to put him in this position? Sure. Mm -hmm. And, um, hopefully he would be up to the task, uh, which I'm sure there's tons of people, but there's also a nuance to speaking bad Korean, but acting as if it's not, Mm -hmm. you know, and, um, also like knowing all the tropes and the, and the archetypes of a culture, but not knowing the nuances of how to navigate that effectively is like something that's very unique to the immigrant experience of the Korean American. And, you know, you're right. Like we're at this point where, you know, in some ways the dollar signs show. And that's where you get, you know, people just kind of like jammed into a movie because they're like, let's just make it so that they recognize someone in this film that is of their home country. But, you know, there's this greater conversation to be had of like, then what happens to Asian Americans, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, And that's kind of the weird pocket that we live in, too, is like, it's not that, you know you know, uh, if we're talking about any type of like oppressive situation, being a minority as an Asian American person, like we can go into detail about the subtleties of that, but like one major component is the fact that we're considered just part of a collective. Like we're just considered part of like the Borg (laughs) and you can ask any of us and we'll say the same answer to you. Right. Which is why there's this purveying thought of like you guys all look alike because like I haven't taken the time to think like, hey, maybe you're like a literally a stark individual and Mm -hmm. that, your look is like literally one sliver of who you are. And so in that way, I am really excited to see people see that journey of like the stark difference between a Korean American and a Korean native, Um, but also like also see the similarities at the same time. I just, and that's the thing that I love about Bong is I just hope that people will take the time to digest like every detail that he's put into this.
4: Yeah, I mean, I know I can't wait to see it again because it is this kind of, it's a it's a riot of both visuals and ideas and and you know you can't really absorb it all in one mm-hmm, sitting. Mm-hmm. So what um you're you know obviously uh, perhaps at the moment best known for for t- television show The Walking Dead. Um, you've done other films. What are your thoughts on this whole Netflix you know mm-hmm. day and date kind of thing? I mean, is that something that you that you as an actor care about, like the distribution, or is it more just getting the, the thing made? And
5: well, I mean, you know, we're at an interesting time. I think you know. I don't think any single person on this planet is hoping that theaters disappear. You know, like everybody loves the theater experience. If you don't, then you're just like a recluse or you hate people or you hate joy. (laughs) Um, and we all recognize that. And I think that's a real thing. Now we're also at the precipice of like new technology. We're also at the brink of like the changeover of the new and old guard and we're also at the point of like you know like as well-intentioned and as seemingly great for the start of stuff that capitalism brings it also can ruin a lot of things and it has classically if anything everything that it eventually touches Mm -hmm. and i feel like we're also at a point where it feels like things have been ruined in that way and this is the correct response to it. Uh, Like, you know, we're at a point where you go to the movie theater and, What happened to all those mid-level movies, those thrillers, those rom-coms, those beautiful things that we remember from our childhood? Yeah, we're
4: about the same age. And I was just thinking about like those like Hand That Rocks the Cradle or, you know, or like The Game yeah, or like, you know, like,
5: like beautiful movies that like we never get to see anymore because there's too much fear that you won't get your return on your investment. Mm -hmm. And then in that sense, you know, if you're going to go to the movie theater with 20 bucks and... You go, hey, do I wanna watch this indie movie or do I wanna watch Batman try to beat up Superman? Like, you're like, well, we got one $20 bill. Let's go watch Batman beat up Superman because everybody's gonna watch that. Right. And so, feels like less of a risk. Yeah, 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 right. And so, you're in there spending that money, and then the theaters go, like, cool, like, everybody just wants to see this. And then they go, cool, like, let's make more of these. And then they go, cool, like, that makes more money. And then it just keeps cycling itself. And then now we're at the point where, like, there's a million Batman beating up Superman movies and nothing wrong with them but like there's something wrong when that's the only thing that you can see at these theaters. Yeah. And um you know you look at Okja and you look at how unique it is, how unexpected it is and how it's so never before seen before. Yeah. And that's only to do with the fact that like you know a studio such as Netflix said, here's your budget and we're also not going to tell you how to do your movie because we trust you.
4: Right. Really rare. So rare.
5: So what are we fighting for then? Are we fighting for the ability to go and watch a movie together or are we fighting for art being able to be made period in its unique, in its entire uniqueness and then appreciating that. And then actually in that way, being built on a platform where someone that would never get to see that typically or never go to the movies to pay for that gets to watch it because it pops up on their dash. Yeah. So I mean I don't know, like yeah. right? Like we're in this really weird gray area and I certainly hope that theaters stay and I certainly hope that people get wise and say like cool, let's keep making good movies because why not?
4: Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I mean I remember at the at the Cannes press conference someone asked uh you guys a similar question and tilda swinton said well you know the fact of the matter is is that a lot of the great little movies that you see that that, that show it can mm-hmm. no one ever sees yeah and at least now you know Ocha has this like you know it's going to be in millions of homes mm-hmm. and people all people have to do is just press play mm-hmm. so i think that in that regard i think it's exciting like mm-hmm. i think like thank like thank god that netflix was there to fund this movie and
5: absolutely and, and like you know those little films that you do see it can like how many of them have a giant cgi pig
4: very few
5: and how (laughs) many can afford to do that you know these movies budgets are like far less than what was able to be done with Okja and that way then you're able to build the spectacle of what you want out of the theater which you know like yes do I want people to see this in the theater of course like that's great but we're also at this weird changing of the guard time so let's figure it out right like let's figure out the happy medium that eventually hopefully we'll get to
4: or everyone should just have a rich friend who has some elaborate screening room yeah. in their mansion, or virtual yeah. reality. Oh, there you go. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, VR. That would, this would be an intense VR movie. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I mentioned Walking Dead, and I wanted to ask you about that a little bit. Um, I'm, you know, we've been asked about it to death, but um, I'm just curious because you know you've, you're in this movie that was a big splash at Cannes. It's going to be on Netflix. It's a, you know, it's a it's a big movie. It's a, mm-hmm. it's a nice place to land after leaving this you know m- mm-hmm. mega hit mm-hmm. show. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm how do you leave a show like that? Like how, what is like, I mean, was there a lot of planning involved or was it just like, all right, I'm going to do this, I'm done. And then you're just kind of open to new experience or do you have like something mapped out?
5: Um, I wouldn't say I have anything mapped out. I would say, you know, you know, there's obviously, you know, you can, you can choose to get into a lot of strategy stuff if you want to. I think for me, like the thing, like I, 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 can overthink things. I'm a type of overthinker. Um, but, ultimately where i land in on the end is gut and um you know the gut was it's like you know it was going to happen anyway but it felt appropriate to leave you know it felt appropriately to be done and i wouldn't even i don't even want to say leave like it wasn't like hey guys i'm done so kill me off it's like this is what's happening and i would have yeah. gladly stayed as well but it was also just like the universe scott gimple being in tune and being like cool like it is now time to change this aspect of the show and it's time in that same way for steven to go move on to something else Mm -hmm. and um i welcome that as much as i was sad about it too you know it's you can't help but be sad to leave such a tight-knit family and like they're wonderful people to work with and so if someone said, like, this is what you're going to do forever, like, okay, that's fine. Like, you love clucking into work? That's great. I'm down. Um, But, you know, I... Leaving the show, it was beautiful in the sense that it felt like I completed a puzzle, you know, and you felt this sense of accomplishment from it. And then afterwards, you kind of just reassess and you go, cool, like, this show has afforded me the ability to take a pause and try to live life too and try to maybe go back and like really understand who you might be and what you want to say, um, in this world. And Mm -hmm. in that way, that's kind of what I did was I just kind of took a step back and I reassessed and said no to things or said yes to things. And, um, in that way, like don't want to get like super, gratuitous about it but like soul search right you you, you have a little soul searching but
4: well it's such an intense experience especially because you're 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 not in where you live you're in you're in georgia you know you're with this group of people for year after year i mean i would just imagine like you don't have a lot of time for that soul searching when you're on set Yeah. yeah 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 i mean like you know
5: you also get to a place where you're like yeah like At some point, I've absolved a lot of my own personal decisions to whatever the collective of our show is going to think, you know? And in that way, there's a comfort of not being able to, like, not having every single thing you choose be directly what you chose. Mm -hmm. Um, And then when you're booted out in that way, like, I don't want to say booted out, but when you're, like, released in that way, like you you were batted out (laughs) yeah yeah i was batted out exactly um when you're batted out in that way like you're then like left in this void of like oh my god like i am responsible for every decision that i make and
4: the way that people miss the military you know when they they live because it's like that that order so regimented right
5: and so then you then you go like cool like now i have some a beat and some time and i'd like to take a step back and luckily you know something like Okcha is a no-brainer to be a part of um but i didn't i didn't i never really took that as like my next move i just took sure. that as like why would you not work with director bong
4: yeah that's I mean,
5: no brainer that is a no-brainer uh yeah. so it really happened after that yeah after the experience of the film the film was kind of this nice therapeutic release from having really harsh post-show blues i'm sure mm-hmm. and uh it was nice to like go and like put my head into something else. And then after that, came back and a lot of life happened. And then um now I'm just kind of at that place of like, cool. Like let's really dig deep and see what I want to accomplish
4: is there anything in particular that you that you're like hungry to do i mean like would you jump back into another series or is that too much of a commitment you'd rather you know do the shorter stint of a film or
5: um you know i think like everybody is like oh i'm done with tv i'll do films right. now you know um but uh I'm, I'm i'm open to anything yeah um i think the one thing though that i have realized is like we're at a beautiful time where and i'm at a beautiful moment where There's nothing that is forcing me anywhere. And so all I have is the ability to kind of like look inward and say like, cool, what do I personally want to express? Whether it comes down to me creating it or me writing it or me being in it, whatever it is, um, I'm open to exploring that. And then in the meantime, in other projects, like if something comes through the pipeline that seems like that's something that I like to be a part of to say as a group, then I'm totally into that, too. So, um, yeah, uh, uh, right now, like I'm having fun with the family, too sure yeah. yeah
4: of course and your your radical animal mm. rights activism obviously. Yes, absolutely <laughs> yeah yeah uh well Stephen. congrats on the film thanks. it's th- thanks for coming in um i really hope you know people are going to watch this and they should it cool. I, I said i think i tweeted about it that like the end the, the movie feels in some ways like a benediction like like it's just kind of this blessing from from bong jun ho to us being like awesome. things might be okay even though some things are bad so <laughs> yeah. thank you for being a part of it and talking thanks. to us today
5: awesome thanks so much thanks
0: That does it for this week's Little Gold Men. Thanks for listening. And as always, you can find us, rate us, and review us on Apple Podcasts. We really appreciate it. You can also find us all at VanityFair.com where uh, we're still talking about Emmy stuff. Uh, the Emmy voting season has ended, but the nominations are right around the corner. So you can find all of the really interesting interviews that we all did talking about uh, some of our favorite television and the actors in them. Uh, you can find us all on Twitter at Little Gold Men. And on our own, I'm at Katie Rich. Joanna. Joe wrote this. Richard. Rylaws. And Mike.
1: Tilda Swinton. (laughs) No, sorry. Mike underscore Hogan. God,
0: Tilda (laughs) Swinton on Twitter would be such a gift to all of us. This episode was edited and produced by Jordan Bell and thanks to Andy Bowers at Panoply. And this week's award for the best summation of Vanity Fair Serena Williams cover on Newsstands Now or available at vanityfair.com goes to Joanna Robinson. She's just, she's fabulous. Everything she does is just fabulous.